Hey y'all! Welcome to Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. I'm Abby Artemisia of The Wander School. Each episode, I bring you stories, tips, and tricks from foragers and wildcrafters around the world to empower you on your wild path. Please remember to practice safe foraging by being 100% positive of your identification before consuming anything wild. Happy listening! Come on, everyone, and gather around. Listen to the soothing in this sound. I'm here to tell you that medicine don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground. The medicine we need grows all around us. Hi, and welcome to episode eight. What you just heard and are still hearing is my new friend, Bill Whipple, and he is cracking one of these delicious chestnuts that he is sharing with me. And Bill is one of the initiators of a cornucopia, which I'm really excited to hear all about. And I just want to take this chance to say thanks for listening and thanks if you're a supporter on Patreon. And if you're not, you can support the production costs of this podcast and getting free education out to folks who need it and get lots of cool bonus material like a few minutes of some bonus talk with Bill after this podcast by going to patreon.com slash the wander school. So hi, Bill. Yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. How are you? I'm great. Happy birthday. Thanks. <laughs> kind of auspicious, isn't it? It is auspicious. Thanks for taking time out on this special day to talk to us. Yeah. I appreciate it. So I met Bill the other night at a lovely foraged dinner that the Gnome Project put on, N-O-H-M. And Bill did a great talk about nuts. <laughs> well, it was about relationship and, and community yes. in relation to nut trees. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I really brought you on because I don't, I want to know about all of it, right? It's all related. What's a cornucopia? Can we talk about that? Sure. A cornucopia project is uh, an idea of proliferating enthusiasm and appreciation and value for native nut trees, of which we have so many diverse options in the eastern uh, part of the United States. We have acorns, dozens of species of acorns. We have quite a few species of hickories. We've got, you know, two species of walnut here and you know, there's hazels, native hazels and buckeye and, and all these, a lot of other things that uh, you can loosely be interpreted as a nut. Great. So giving value to that and whatever that means is to get it out into the public so people value this because if people value native nut trees, then they will proliferate. So whatever we value as consumers then farmers will plant them, people will plant them, and they will be cultivated, and we will have more of them. 
And probably the biggest uh, motivation for this is my complete dismay at commodity agriculture and uh, corn and soybeans and wheat and canola and all that and what it's doing to our environment. We're paying a dear price for cheap food. And I have yet to find a reason why a perennial native agriculture uh, wouldn't be the solution to so many problems. You know, this was validated by the UN. The UN declared, the United Nations declared this year that there's going to be twice as many people by 2050 on the planet or something like that or an awful lot more. And we need to do three things. We need to uh, reduce our agricultural lands by 50%. We have to feed wow. twice as many people and we need to plant more trees. And they didn't say how we're going to do that. It's kind of like a riddle. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't make sense. But it makes sense to me. And it makes sense if you read, a, you know, do a little bit of research on, you know, where commodity agriculture, who it feeds. Um, it was a Scientific America article. You can look it up, you know, where corn comes, where corn goes or something like that. And we hardly eat any of the commodity corn. So everyone's worried about, uh, oh, if we don't have this, all this corn out there, we'll starve to death. That's how we're going to feed the people. Well, that's a big lie. That is a big myth. And the very little of that food actually makes it into our mouths. It goes mm -hmm. to ethanol, and it goes to feedlot operations, which are disgusting in their own right. And it goes to exports, and a little bit of it goes to high fructose corn syrup. And how bad do we really need that? <laughs> Good point. So what if we were to start converting some of these basically uh, useless agricultural products um, that are all government subsidized anyway. If you took the government subsidies out of that stuff, it would all the whole system would collapse. And we started converting cropland into perennial trees. So you use things like uh, planting things in rows, uh, the efficiency in harvesting equipment. Uh, but we're growing oak trees in rows, and we're not tilling, and we're not spraying. And we have diverse orchards and we can run animals through them. And all of a sudden you have a very complex system of small regional, supporting small regional uh, nut processing facilities. That's the dream of acornucopia. Awesome. It's not a dream to have like a big, you know, hierarchical corporate nut headquarters, but to sort of foster small independent autonomous nutteries in the region that can support one, one another. And that's a whole nother story. If we go in deeper, we can talk about that. Yeah, I would love to. But first, why nuts? Why nuts? Why? Why not? <laughs> why not nut nuts? Why not? Why not nuts? Why not? Why not nuts? So y'all will find out. Bill's quite a character. <laughs> if you stay tuned, you might get to hear him play a song, which the song he played the other night was fantastic. So it'll be totally worth it. But yeah, was there what what got you interested in nuts in the first place? I've been growing fruit for 35 years without chemicals in my farm in West Virginia. I'd sell them at farmers markets. And I've noticed over time that I could go around my orchard and eat 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 and still be hungry. There's only so much fruit you can eat and it just doesn't fill you and I was like I need something that's more substantial. And so I started 
I want to figure out how to do nuts. And I had been playing around with walnuts, about like everyone else has. You crack a walnut in the fall, and it tastes weird, and it's hard to get to, and it's, you know, and I, you know, and it's like discarded that as completely useless squirrel food. And then for some reason, I went to a um, Northern Nut Growers Association meeting, and that's a great uh, organization, the NNGA. And um, they're a bunch of old guys that have been growing and select, well, they've been, foraging and selecting the best genetics of nuts for over a hundred years now. Not every nut tree is a different kind. You know, they're different. They're all, it's genetic. Just like you and I are different. Every nut tree produces different kinds of nuts. It's a lot of genetic diversity in our wild uh, gene pool out there. And some of these individuals are amazing. So the average black walnut is 12% nut meat. So it's slim, slim pickings. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got cultivars that you, we can graft of wild genetics that are over 35% nut meat. So we're talking about three times more meat, a thinner shell, and when you pop it very gently, the nut meats just fall out. That's amazing. Can you imagine a black walnut doing that? Well, they're no. there, and they're easy to graft, and you can, you can either plant those or you can graft them on trees that already exist. There's like, it's a very uh, cultivatable and I do that with hickories. Same with the hickories. Well, you saw, you'll see a picture of the hickories mm-hmm. that you took a picture of that are huge. And when I went to this conference, I was kind of at the, at the exposition hall, you know, kind of the demonstration place. And everyone is in classes. And, and I was there. And there's an old guy there in the corner. He's like, hey, pfft, come over here. He was like this little, you know, little troll, you know. <laughs> he's like, come here, crack this nut. And I was like, oh, uh, I'm looking around, you know, it's like, oh my God, I'm, all, I'm all by myself here with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> What's he going to do? Anyway, he, uh, he has this nutcracker and he says, put this nut in there, tell me what you think. And so I like get ready to, you know, because when you're going to crack a walnut, you got to lean into it, right? Mm-hmm. It takes some um. And I almost <laughs> fell over forward because this thing just like, I barely touched it and just like crumbled. Wow. And I was, exactly, that's what I said. I was <laughs> like, wow. And then it's just like, my brain was a nut that cracked as well and it's my head just like cracked wide open i'm just like oh my god and he said he told me about the 35 percent nut meats and i was like we can make a living off this we could create new and luther burbank said one of my great heroes said that all it takes is one plant to make an industry it's all you need is one plant you make an industry one little seed the side of a pinhead potato seed that he planted when he was in his 20s as a marketer gardener we eat them as french fries you know, one little seed has made trillions and trillions of dollars of wealth. So just remember that any little thing, any little thing, could turn into something huge if we just pay attention. And so these walnuts, like, wow, look at the efficiency of this, and the food is, the, and the more I learn about the nutrition of walnuts. And I mean, has anyone out there? Tell me, tell me right now. Just yell me if you've ever killed a black walnut. That's what I say. Nobody's <laughs> killed a black walnut. And that's the kind of agricultural product I want to grow. Something you can't kill. Mm-hmm. And it's a native. I'm not talking about almonds. <clears throat> I'm not talking about English walnuts. <clears throat> I'm not talking about, you know, cashews. <clears throat> I'm talking about our good, tough, all-American black walnut. Yes. But I'm also talking about hickories, and I'm talking about acorns, too. Mm-hmm. Can you... Give us like a general overview of what kind of nutrition we're getting from those nuts. Well, black walnuts, um, not real good, but I know there's a lot of omega-3s in it. There's a lot of the really good 
oils and the black walnuts. In China, they don't have the black walnut per se, but they have a walnut there. In China, when the mothers couldn't breastfeed their children, they couldn't afford a wet nurse, they would raise their kid, their children, their babies on walnut milk. Wow. So it's, it's, a, it's big time nutrition. If I, I know that if I wanted one food on an island, black walnut would be it. I just think it's got so much, mm-hmm. so much. Acorns are, have, you know, I can't speak for all acorns. It's hard to like group acorns all in one bunch because there's such a diversity, especially between the reds and the whites. Mm-hmm. But I've read that they have every amino that we use. Wow. Not every amino that we need, not to the quantities we need, but they have every amino we use. Amazing. It's a full spectrum amino. And in general, nuts have lots of oils and some protein. Some do. There's the starch nuts. Mm-hmm. So the Cornucopia project is narrowed it down to like we want to make the four commodities accessible using nut products. So we got flour, we got oil, we got dairy, we got meat. Mm-hmm. All right. And so you've got your starch nuts and you've got your oil nuts. So your white oaks, white oak families of starch nuts. So it's a chestnut. Okay. Buckeye too. You got your oil nuts or your hickories and your walnuts and your hazels. Did you okay. just say buckeye? Mm-hmm. Well, what? Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. Buckeyes are one of those nuts that everyone says are poisonous. And I haven't done a lot of experimenting with them and I haven't gone into the lab with them. Not that I have a lab, but I wish somebody would. But they have something called saponins in it. I know I probably didn't pronounce it right. Uh, saponins or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the syllable is. And um, this, of course, is what you make soap out of. Right. This is what makes the Himalayan soap nuts uh, popular, I know. Mm-hmm. So I'm really into the idea of co-products, and I don't just get one thing out of a nut. Mm-hmm. I pull them apart, and I get all kinds of different things. This is what George Washington Carver did. George Washington Carver um, took the peanut, and he pulled it apart. He made over 220 different things out of peanuts, you know, over 117 things out of sweet potatoes, oh. dyes. Uh, oils, paints, you know, he did crazy stuff. And this is what I aspire to. I obviously don't have his brilliance, but, um, you know, in my own little funny way, I'm doing that with the nuts, same thing. Buckeyes have saponins, saponins, and in the leaching process, those leach out, you leach those out, you have separation of the saponins, and then you have the starch left over. So you make flour out of that. And you can have your saponins for some kind of, you know, detergent or whatever. Wow. Yeah. So are you... It's like leaching acorns. You know, acorns have their tannins, right? Yeah, that was actually... People say they're poisonous too, but we all well know on this podcast that they're not. Right. That was my next question. So would you do something different with, say, the red oak acorns that have higher tannins in them than... The white oak acorns, it sounded like you were saying white oak acorns are more for starch, so like a flower. Yeah, so I forget, you know, they, they go back and I hear different things about which one has more tans. It doesn't matter to me which has more tans. It's just you got to get the tannins out mm-hmm. irregardless. Now, anything that has oil in it is much more complex. Mm-hmm. You can get much more out of it. That's why George Washington Carver was so into peanuts because they had the oil. And you've got the oil. You can do like all oh, kind of crazy stuff. And so the acorns have the oil. And so when we press oil out of the acorns, out of the black oaks and the pin oaks, we have this oil product. And then we have the press cake. And the press cake now has, you know, if I run red oaks through my, my flour mill, it gums it up. There's too much oil in it. But if I take the oil out of it, 
Now I can run it through my flour mill and have a nice flour product. So I separate the two. I separate the oil and the starch, and now I can have this pure oil product and I have the uh, starch to make flour with. And I love the red oak flowers. The family of red oak flowers is really great. White oak has its, has its charms too. Mm-hmm. But that butteriness that comes from the oil, that flavor, that buttery flavor is so awesome. Yeah. So good. That's amazing. So will you tell us more about the kind of equipment that you're using to do this processing? Which processing? Because there's two categories. There's like the, there's processing equipment for the sort of the convoluted nut, like the hickories and the walnuts. Mm -hmm. And then there's processing equipment for the sort of the the single chambered, thinner shelled nuts. Mm -hmm. So black walnuts being the convoluted one with all the little cavities and the big mm-hmm. thick shell, and then like acorns or, or um, chestnuts being the ones with a single cavity and a thin shell. So there's two very different processes Yeah. and different machinery. Yeah. Which one would you like to talk about? Um, the convoluted nuts. Cause... Okay, black walnuts. Everybody's about, black walnuts the gateway nut. Mm-hmm. Um, it's big. It doesn't get predated really aggressively. Mm-hmm. Um, like chestnuts and acorns just get scarfed up by squirrels and turkeys and bears like nobody's business. And the walnuts just kind of lay around till everything's gone. And then everybody gets to the walnuts. That's like, so we get, you know, we get a shot at, well, how should we say in the business? We get a crack at the black walnuts. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, sorry, you, those of you out there that are offended by puns. Sorry. You don't know this about me, but I'm actually the queen of the unintentional pun. Yeah. So it happens. Is that all sort the of time like the king of the teaching. Freudian slip or something like Probably. that? Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so black walnut processing, you gotta get the hull off. And that's the other thing about the Cornucopia project. If we're gonna make these products accessible, that's a huge part of the Cornucopia project, is to develop more efficient uh, processes so we're not doing so much hand work. Because if you you're, if your hands are touching the nuts, if your hands are touching your nuts, you're uh, you're in trouble. You're not gonna make any money. You know, you got to get your hands to work, get them off your nuts, get them to work, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I hope there's no children listening. That's fine. So, um, <laughs> this goes especially to the children. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's true. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> Take your hands off your nuts. Take your hands off, yeah. So if you're going to make this stuff affordable and make it of a value of people to people outside of your own therapy and doing it for yourself, which is, has plenty of honor in it. I'm not dis, dis, disregarding people doing home-scale nut processing. But where nut, a cornucopia separates it from it's from that, from the homesteader or forger type person, is is trying to do it more in a collective, doing it more on a larger scale. And, and, and in that, it brings people together, mm-hmm. right? So if, if we invest together collectively uh, in a processing equipment, we can do more nuts, we can bring the price down, we can be of service to other people in the community, and we have a relationship, you know? That's the, what my basis of my talk the other night was how much trees I'm learning, if you get involved with them, they cultivate relationship. That relationship is a service. Is a, is a, is a, um, a successful strategy for life you know trees wouldn't be so prevalent they've learned that being generous 
and create relationships through their nuts that they, they in the, and all this, the resources they give forth has been very positive for them and they have proliferated around the world, right? So anyway, we've got this product. So we've processed uh, black walnuts. We have uh, for the hulls, we saw YouTube, but these guys in India had taken a lime spreader, for instance, and put a 55-gallon drum on instead of the hopper and then put like a piece of expanded metal underneath where the spins on the in, in the base of that and spins the, the fertilizer out, put like expanded metal and basically turn into a big food grater. So when it spins around, you put, you know, 10, 15, 20 gallons of black walnuts in there and it de-holes them in a matter of like five minutes. What? So it's that stuff, simple little appropriate technology where you use existing things like the PTO of a tractor and you get some junk. Most of our stuff is made with junk. If you go to our shop, it's just like plastic 55-gallon drums. They're making it out of 55-gallon drums because a friend of ours works at, you know, restaurant or this food processing place. So, you know, all this stuff, it's, I love it. It's like spanking our gang, you know, goes into the nut yeah. business, right? It's a great image. And so, uh, and that's my skill set, and that's as far as it'll go. So, you know, we're developing these things that far, but at some point we're going to need to find some people who can really, like, or invest in, you know, stainless. Once mm -hmm. we have the machines and process figured out, then we can pour money into expensive, very in unique engine equipment. I mean, I've been making some out of metal, but it's not my skill set. I can make really basic stuff. So anyway, so we got it dehulled, and then you know you run it in a cement mixer after that. So you still a lot of uh, hull on the black walnuts. You run it through a cement mixer, and that you know that costs you another hundred bucks, and you comes they come out clean as a whistle. And now you don't have to worry about dry hull getting into your nuts when you crack them. All right. So now we've got a nice, clean, wooden-looking walnut, and we cure them. And they be cured, and this is always tough because, you know, they need to sit out and get air, but you've got to keep the rodents out of them. Mm -hmm. So that's really challenging. And then they got to get cracked. And then they got to get trammeled, and then they got to get sorted. You know, and so it goes on and on. We have all these little machines for all that that we've made out of stuff. And we're doing pretty good. I spent a lot of time with the black walnut last winter, and I was very skeptical about the black walnut, and I figured some things out, and and I think we can make some money on them now. And so we put a call out to for we opened the gates for foragers to bring us black walnuts because we didn't we only took so many last year because like we can't take them if we don't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. and now I know what to do with them, and so we opened up the gates. I think we got in like something like eight or ten thousand pounds of black walnuts. Wow! People cleaning their yards out and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. So. It's on. I got to scale it up. If people, you know, people keep bringing us black. Like I said, it's the gateway nut. Mm -hmm. It's big. It's in people's way. It's a nuisance. They bag them up, throw them over the hill anyway. They do. And pff, what a resource. Yeah. I mean, the black walnut, unbelievable food. Yeah. Yeah. Superfood. There's nothing short of superfood there. Yeah. I mean, it is pretty amazing. I think that it's has a lot to do with connotation, right? Like how we think about things, our perspective. And the feeling that we put into it or behind it. I know people who call black walnuts ankle breakers. Mm -hmm. And it's that's thinking about it in a way that they're causing harm to us instead of what can we do with these? Mm -hmm. They can be incredibly nutritious mm -hmm. food and sustain us. So They're diamonds in the rough. They, they just are. need a little polishing. Yes. That's all they need. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. So I have more nut questions, but let's take a slight break for a second. Will you tell me about this tea that we're drinking? Oh, the tree. 
<laughs> so it's it's tree leaf tea, and I've got you know it's all my fruit all my fruit tea leaves. So I've got um, mulberry leaf, and I got fig leaf, and I got black currant, and I got raspberry. So it's not all trees, but they're all perennials, perennial fruit teas. I like little peach leaf in there. I've been liking that. It's really I can good. totally taste it. Um, and that's kind of like my house blend tree. That's fantastic. So if you can't, if you didn't hear that, he was calling the tea tree. So T R E A, and I think it's ingenious. So thank you. It's delicious mm. also. Awesome. And those leaves all have medicinal benefits as well, as do most wild things if you dig deep enough. See, I told you, dig deep enough. It's great. <laughs> I wanted to ask you. Can you kind of repeat what you were saying at the dinner the other night and tell us a little bit more about the relationship between the nuts and the animals that consume them and how that relates to mast years and things like that? Sure. So when there's a, if I was going to be a tree coming from the culture that I'm in, American culture, I would produce, this is, you know, I would try it now. I wanted to reproduce myself. That was my objective. I would produce these little seeds that would, that were inedible or poisonous. And I would send them as far as many of them as far as I could. So I could dominate the world with my genetics. Right. When I look around, I look at climax forests. So at least the ones that I've been around, they're nuts. You know, the climax Eastern forest was chestnut, hickory, uh, oak, you know, and these are nuts that just like, they just throw tons of these incredibly, you know, and everybody wants the nuts. If you've tried, as soon as you try and get nuts, you're like, where'd all the nuts go? Well, because everybody wants them because this is like the best food in the world. I mean, animals love this stuff for a reason. And so why would trees, I mean, think about it. What in the, why would trees make something so desirable for your, you don't want your seeds to be eaten. And so what I kind of came to understand is that what they're doing is, so when there's a lot of acorns, for instance, there's a mast year or something like that, and it's like the rodents go crazy. And then the herpetologists get excited because the next year there's a ton of snakes and there's a ton of raptors, hawks and owls, and it just kind of goes on out. And, 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 and what's happening is, you know, there's a resource, the trees produce a resource, and then all these relationships happen, all these things, these animals and stuff come in, and they're all relating to each other. And for some reason, that's successful, because trees are the dominant species if left to their, you know, if, if an area is left to its own devices, it, it finally goes back to nut trees. And so, why would relationship be so important for a tree? I mean, wouldn't you want to just be all you, you know, and, and it's, but that's not the way nature, you know, so I'm just looking at what's successful in nature and that's not the case. So there's a lot of diversity, you know, there's, you know, you, you listen to these, these guys geeking out on mycelium and, and how trees through the mycelium, that nutrients are being shared, you know, to different species, you know, it's, and it's like this, it's a whole network. It's a whole community of relationship. It's a web. And that in that is successful, resilient force of life, right? And also, you know, and another image of that too is the chaos of mast. And so instead of a tree producing nuts in the same place 
over and over and over again where the same animals just kind of live there. And, and, and if you have that, you have kind of an, which is basically what our annual agricultural system is. We're producing the same calories out of the same field year after year. You have this centralized resource. Nature doesn't centralize resources. Nature moves them around because what happens is you sit in the same place you wear down the nutrients there you start inbreeding you start building up pestilence there's all these reasons not to stay in the same place there's always everything was nomadic and moved around you got to keep moving around or it's you know it just gets nasty and um and and also you know so there's a there's a big tree crop you know 50 miles away so all the deer from here go over there and then somewhere from 300 miles away the deer come in from there and so those genetics are getting they're they're mixing and meeting new individuals and they're hybridizing and you got to hybridize to adapt and so we've got to have this you know just rotating fluctuating chaos that's what life needs to be vibrant and uh and trees totally cultivate that by this maddening idea that they some trees put nuts here and some there and there's a big ton of them in this area and there's none in this area and it's a brilliant strategy and it's been very successful so my talk the other night was it was like generosity and chaos are key elements to good healthy vibrant relationships <laughs> right yeah who here is there anybody out there that's in a relationship that isn't chaotic <laughs> just say yes <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> Total silence. <laughs> Thanks. I think that is fascinating. And it reminds me, too, what you were saying about coming together and connecting over processing these nuts. I always like to stress to people when we're learning foraging, and, and Bill and I were talking about this before we got on the air here, that it's hard... For some people, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming for me. Like, I'll admit it, you know, my, I wish, you know, that I could just forage all the time or make medicine all the time or hike through the woods. But, you know, we all have, we live in this society, if you're listening to this, (laughs) and we have to figure out ways to pay our bills. And so sometimes it can feel overwhelming to find the time to forage and or grow and then process. And so back in the day when we lived in a hunter-gatherer type of situation, people did this in community. You know, that's why community was, well, one of the many reasons why community was so important. But when we come together to do these things, it's not just utilitarian, it's fun. And Well, relationship is what makes us human. That. <laughs> yes. Like, we're nothing without relationship. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the amazing technology that we're privy to these days, um, it can be miraculous and it can be extremely isolating. And... I know that lots of people experience depression and anxiety, and I think that a lot of that comes from isolation and disconnection from nature, of Mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. And so coming together to do these things is a way for us to be healthy and happy. So another thing about the Acornucopia Project, remember the bit about the autonomous nutteries? 
regional nutteries. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens is, is you have you'll have regions that have a big mast year, and they just have an overabundance of resources. So I heard up in New York and Vermont this year there was a ton of red oaks, you know, more they can handle, and other places there were none. And so that's part of the survival strategy of trees that figured it out 400 year, million years ago that, and gardeners know this, you don't plant the carrots in the same bed year after year because you deplete mm. the nutrients and also you build up pests, right? So what trees do is they have barren years where they underwhelm the pests and the pests die back and then they overwhelm them, right? And so there's a ton of nuts and the pests, there's not enough pus there to take care of them and they get their seed dispersed. That's part of that brilliant intelligence that these trees have. That's part of the generosity and the chaos. There's generosity and there's chaos. And it keeps everybody on the move and everybody's and the nuts have to make it worth the while to be on the move. And and um, and so dang, I forgot where I was going with that. I got all excited. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's totally interesting anyway. Oh, was, dang, it was about the Acornicova <laughs> project. Oh right, so the autonomous nutteries. I'm back, I'm back. The autonomous nutteries, the idea is, is since we can't move, so this is an adaption of the fact that we are sedentary and we have these, you know, there's private property and we can't just nomadically roam around, that we do it as as a a relationship kind of moves us around. So if you're in Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, and you have a big nut year, more than you know what to do with, we can, instead of us moving to South Carolina, we can move nuts up to Asheville and mm-hmm. share the abundance, yeah. right? And, and then next year when you don't have any nuts in South Carolina and we've got a bunch of nuts, we can pay you back, right? And so we have this whole separate independent economy, which I like to call, instead of Bitcoin, we have Nutcoin, okay? <laughs> so we're going to create this whole economy where we're trading and bartering and vouching and sharing equipment. Um, and that way, because mass is like a lightning bolt, and lightning bolts have this huge amount of charge that just can't be handled. It's just too much, too quick. But if you could figure out how a way of absorbing it into like you know like you know like a web, all of a sudden you can capture these resources. And that's what in the hunter gatherer societies they did. All these people went out and they went around and looked. And somebody says, "I just found a huge log full of chicken of the woods." And it'd be more than they could ever eat by themselves. So they come and they bring it to the village and they cut it all up and they share it. And then the next day, someone's like, "We just found a deer, and it's more than I, you know." And you can't just sit there and eat a deer, and you don't have refrigeration. And so you bring it and you carve it up and you give it all to the little families. And everybody took care of themselves. And that is the essence of being human. That is what we've been for a long, long time. And what we are right now has been happening for a very, very short time. So sometimes when I do talks, I have a 40-foot rope. And it represents a million and a half years, which in a million and a half years, a million and a half years ago was the first fossil or first remains of pitted stones where hominids were actually grinding acorns found in Israel, mm-hmm. a million and a half years. So we've been, hominids have been eating acorns for a million and a half years, we know. Wow. I think it's more like two, but a million and a half is the first one. Now, if you take 
commodity agriculture, when we start growing wheats and grains and things like that, that's about, what, 7,000, 5,000 years? So in a 40-foot rope that represents a million and a half years, we've had modern agriculture, which is the beginning of, you know, the whole master-slave, private property thing, you know, hierarchy and all that stuff, where we broke up and there was, you know, someone who had everything and everybody else worked for him, whereas it was before it was the village where we all shared. That's about, on a 40-foot tape, about an inch and a half long inch and a half long and 40 feet does not look very impressive. This is little anomaly that we're living right now. It's not who we are. That's why people are depressed. That's yeah. why people are disconnected because we were all taking care of each other before. And that's what trees do. That's what nut trees do in the forest. They take care of everybody, everybody. There's no favorites in the mm. forest. I love that. And, the, and they move it around. It's chaotic. And there's some trees that bear early. And there's some bear trees that bear late. And there's trees that just hold on to their nuts. And they drop a little bit every day for all winter long, making sure everybody gets fed. Thanks for sharing that. Good stuff to think about. So if folks want to get more involved with a cornucopia project, how can they do that? Oh, there's a million ways. And don't be so literal about just gathering nuts. We need chemists. We need marketers. We need educators. We need foragers. We need graphic artists. We need everything it takes to create a whole new world. We need accountants. We need lawyers. We need people who drive trucks. We need people who give good hugs. We need people who forage amazing foods and cook, like to cook. Mm -hmm. You know, we need it all. I want to have carnivals. I want to go on tour. I want to have something called Circus Quercus, where we have a traveling processing facility where we go around and we process people's nuts and we have a festival and we create community and yes. village and we have education and we share food and we have laughs and we meet each other and we exchange genetics, whatever it is that people like to do that makes us human. <laughs> <laughs> So if folks are interested in doing that, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you or someone else? Well, you can go to our website, acornucopiaproject.com, and there's a little thing there that uh, you can see on the front page. This, you can give me your name thing. But, you know, like I don't pay close attention to that. So if you really want to get involved, say, hey, I want to get involved. These are my skill sets. Mm -hmm. And I've yet to find anything real. I don't think I've found anybody with a, a skill set that couldn't be plugged in. Cool. And so that link will be in the show notes, which are on the blog at thewanderschool.com. And there will also be a fantastic recipe from Bill with nuts that we haven't decided on yet. <laughs> so that's a surprise. So check there. And is there anything else before we get to the song that you would like to share with folks? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty, but anything you think is important today? I think that piece I just shared was the heart of it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And everything springs from that. Yeah, there's a million. We could spring off from there in a million different directions, and maybe we'll do another another cast. But unless you've I got something that. that you feel is incomplete. No, I mean, I. yeah, I think you said it. <laughs> but um, I was just going to throw in there like a little piece because it's winter. 
and for foragers who are listening, um, we're actually sitting here over some chestnuts right now, which are freaking delicious. Um, and it's such a joy to eat chestnuts in January. It's like a freaking miracle. Um, and Bill was saying that these were gifted to him by someone in West Virginia. No, they weren't gifted. They were foraged, and I bought them. Oh, you bought them. Yeah, Sorry. We buy you nuts. bought them. Yeah, we okay. bought them. Uh, but, yeah, bought them. So, anyway, but they're delicious chestnuts, <clears throat> and we're sitting here with some crackers made from chestnut flour and some hickory nuts and some hickory nut oil and some hickory nut oil lip balm and walnut oil lip balm and all of these shelves with amazing things that you have made. Kind of makes me feel right at home. So I just want to put that out there to folks that there's so much that you can do and make and also that I've been out um, because there's still foraging that can happen in winter and so just to give you a little piece to take home, this is a great time for forging the things that are around, like pine needles and wild onions and rose hips. So everybody needs a little extra vitamin C this time of year. So pine needles and rose hips are a great way to get that. And I've been seeing wild toothwort, which is kind of like wild horseradish around. So check that out and learn about that and do some sustainable, ethical foraging. And you can throw it in your fire cider, and it will keep you healthy all winter long. And just a, just another little pitch for the black walnut and the nuts mm-hmm. is that, you know, pine needles, I'm sure, have their merit, but you can get hungry eating <laughs> pine needles. You know, but black walnuts will last in the shell for years. Yeah. So if you get your black walnuts in, you get your hickory nuts in, you get your acorns in, you can eat like a high on the hog <laughs> all winter long. No refrigeration yeah. needed. That's a great point. Yeah. It's really, really filling food. Walnuts are behind very high quality soluble fibers and uh, give you a, a really great sense of, f- f- of being full. And so actually, ironically, even though walnuts have a lot of oil, they're recommended for people with weight problems because you feel full. Yes. Thanks for that reminder. Mm-hmm. What are you going to play for us? Uh, this is a, a song that I call Ain't Nothing Perfect. And it's a, it's a new genre I created called Wonky Tonk. <laughs> Love it. Just go. Go for it. Nothing perfect, ain't nothing right, ain't nothing like nothing, make you feel like nothing inside. If you ain't nothing, well you probably ought to get outside, get outside, get outside. Nothing really matters, ain't nothing divine, life's worth nothing, nothing's a good time. Ain't nothing something to make a person feel so fine, feel so fine, feel so fine. Nothing makes me laugh, 
Nothing makes me smile, nothing makes me stick around, even for a while. Nothing lasts forever, and nothing's right on time, right on time, right on time. <laughs> so much bill thanks for being here today and sharing your knowledge with everyone i super appreciate it you're welcome pleasure i'm so glad that you're interested in what we're doing i am and i am gonna come i want to see the whole operation and participate right yeah so i'll get involved and all of you check out the blog and find out how you can get involved also So thanks so much for listening today. Please like, subscribe, comment, and share if you like this podcast. And please support it so I can continue to do this and talk to amazing people like Bill. And you can do that for as little... She's bringing people like me into your living room without the smell. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) It's got to be worth something to you. Come on now. So you can do that for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thewanderschool. Do you know how expensive it is to clean up after me? (laughs) I mean, I am here in Bill's home, so. (laughs) But it's lovely. He built it himself, actually. I'm very inspired and inspired to write my own songs about cool wild foods. Pine needles. (laughs) Yes, pine needles. Oh, that's a good one. So, yeah, please like, subscribe, share, and support in any way that you are able. And please get outside. Duh. 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 (laughs) Thanks, y'all. Happy foraging. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. Don't forget to check the show notes for all of the links from today's episode. Thanks so much to Tina and her pony for the use of their beautiful song, Medicine. I love hearing from all of you, so please leave me your comments. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast and share with folks you know. You can keep learning and following my adventures on thewanderschool.com and the Wanderschool Facebook and Instagram pages. Happy wandering, foraging, and wildcrafting. Come on, everyone, and gather round. Listen to the soothing in this sound. I'm here to tell you that medicine 
don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground. The medicine we need grows all around.